will um, is how much we evaluate our experience. How often this comparing and judging and commenting um, and that we're not satisfied with our moments the way they are. We want them to be more than or less than or different in some way. We resist and we deny how things actually are. And as women, many of us have felt that we haven't done enough or been good enough or that we aren't enough in some way. And when we can begin to experience each moment as enough, just as it is, ourselves and others as enough, it's very healing. And so I'd like to talk tonight about accepting and letting go and being enough. When I was um, in the middle of writing this talk, um, I was lying in bed one morning, sort of thinking and staring at the ceiling when my 13-year-old ran in and was very excited about upcoming Hanukkah and Christmas. And he said, I'm so excited, I can't stand it. Um, I don't know what to do. Um, I can't wait for all the presents and all the food and all this stuff. And um, so he lay down and I said, well, so this moment isn't good enough. And he said, no. So I said, well, what is this moment actually like? How does it feel? And he said, well, I feel nice and warm and comfortable and a bit excited and happy. As a matter of fact, this moment is fine. <laughs> so I said, oh. And after about, he lay there for two minutes, and then after about two minutes he said, but on the other hand, if there was a TV on the ceiling and I could watch soccer without having to move, and I've got an itch in my back, and, and I said, well, the moment didn't stay good enough very long, did it? And that's what happens to us. We can have a pleasant moment, but it doesn't stay good enough very long. And you'll have noticed this here. You might have had a wonderful meal and suddenly the mind starts wanting dessert. Or, (laughs) you know, we have very cushy conditions here. And even with that, the mind starts wanting something a little more. Our moments are not acceptable to us very often. So what do we mean by acceptance? Sometimes we can think of it as meaning, meaning a resignation or a kind of passivity or denial, um, a putting up with something that we're not ready to put up with. And when I first um, became involved in the Buddhist teaching some years ago, um, I heard about unconditional acceptance, that accepting of everything just as it is. And I thought, well, it's fine for the Buddha to be able to do that and for the Dalai Lama but I can't accept the suffering in the world. I can't accept my own suffering. And I didn't see how it was possible to allow allow that. I didn't want to. But I came to see that acceptance doesn't mean liking it. It doesn't mean that uh, we agree with something. It's more an allowing, a willingness to fully see things just as they are. And we come to see that it's a process and that what the Dharma is teaching us is not to exclude our reality in each moment. So if this moment, if the truth of this moment is that it's unbearable, then it's the unbearableness that's asking for acceptance. It's the, the mind state of, this is not okay, that's asking for acceptance. And the aversion to it, that's asking for acceptance.
the not put up with it mind. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross once said, I'm not okay, you're not okay, and that's okay. And so (laughs) it's having that framework to work from, that we can allow things not to be okay. And so it's not about improving ourselves or trying to fix ourselves in some way so that we can be acceptable or to fix others so that they become acceptable or our moments become more acceptable. But it's being here fully just as it is. Rather than thinking, well, I'll accept myself when I've changed, we find that by accepting ourselves just as we are, change is possible. So how do we begin to do this, begin to allow and begin to accept? We begin with mindfulness. And mindfulness is that mirror-like quality of awareness that simply reflects everything that's there. It doesn't exclude anything. But also, it doesn't add anything. So we're being present and simply seeing, but we're not commenting or adding or comparing or judging. All that we're doing is seeing what's true right now. So what we do is we come into the present moment and we're mindful of what is it that's happening right now. How am I reacting to what's happening right now? Am I contracting? Am I pushing away? Am I holding on? How does it feel in my body? Is it tight and contracted? Is there resistance or is there pain? What you'll notice is that we tend to contract around unpleasant states. We want to shut them out of our awareness. So often we don't notice what they are. I'm sure you've all had that experience where you feel really uncomfortable, but you're not quite sure what's going on. Because that contraction happens so fast, we don't notice what it is often that triggered it. It gets blocked. Another thing we can do is notice when we're trying to change a state that we're already in. And instead to see if we can make space for the state that's there rather than trying to create another one. And what we'll find when we do that is if we settle back into this kind of natural awareness of what's actually present, even if it's agitation or fear or pain, simply by giving it some space and not holding around it, it begins to release all on its own. Things settle down and the energy is freed if we're not holding on so tightly. So with our mindfulness, we provide this kind of spacious awareness that sees things clearly without adding all our comments about it. So acceptance doesn't have to mean giving up or not not acting. It simply means seeing things more clearly, and then we can act with wisdom. So it's really about allowing all of our mind states and all of our reactions to the mind states. And what we see is that as we begin to allow them, they loosen and they can pass away. So we're including rather than excluding. It takes energy to exclude things, and that builds tension in our bodies. We use up a lot of energy trying to stop our moments from being the way they are. And what happens is when we, dis- when we start to allow a little and make a little space, 
it loosens up a little and there's space for it to leave. And as our trust grows, when we allow a little more, we see a little more, we understand a little more. Because it's as though we've been held round and as we start to loosen and allow, we begin to understand what was there all along. And there's a chance for it to pass through more freely. On the last retreat I was teaching, um, there was a woman who had a lot of fear coming up. And at first she wasn't able to look at it. And then gradually, little by little, she was able to allow the fear. And then she came in and she said, this amazing thing happened. I was able to allow it, and it really wasn't that big a deal. I'd been afraid of the fear. It was the fear of the fear (laughs) that I was trapped in. And sometimes that can happen. We can, the energy builds up around it when we don't allow it. And so there's no chance for it to become more free. It isn't easy for us to accept all of ourselves. It's hard for us to do that. We all have parts of ourselves that we've walled off and not want to look at out of fear or hurt or shame sadness, and it requires kindness and compassion. Jung said, those parts of yourself that you do not accept will become hostile to you. And it's true. When we push them away, they don't like it, and they get angry back. So how do we cultivate an allowing compassionate mind when in our culture it's so conditioned to judge ourselves? It's like a tape that's playing constantly the judgments. It just comes in so quickly. You'll have noticed that as you're sitting, how quickly the mind comments and judges. It helps as the mindfulness grows. Mindfulness is really what begins to loosen it. Because we begin to understand and to see more clearly that the judging isn't who we are. It's just a habit pattern in our mind. We don't need to believe the words that it's saying. So we start bringing the light of mindfulness to it. And even when you're watching the breath, for example, um, you'll be watching the breath and your mind wanders. And rather than saying, oh shit, I was gone, you can say, oh, now I'm back. Or if you get lost in recrimination that you've been gone, um, and then you start judging that you were judging, (laughs) you can say no blame to the judging. So no blame to getting lost, and no blame to the judging. And when we do that, we begin to sow seeds of kind attention, when all our lives we've been sowing seeds of unkind attention, and they've been growing each time we do it again. So we don't judge ourselves when we find ourselves judging ourselves. Um, We just, oh, there it goes again. I heard you already, enough. And that begins to loosen it. And as we begin to cultivate this quality of kindness to ourselves, the loving kindness that Deborah was talking about this afternoon, our compassion grows. And we begin to be able to allow more and more of ourselves. We begin to allow all the really dark places that we haven't wanted to look at. And that's very healing when we can see those with acceptance.
And it takes courage and trust to do that. Because often there's a lot of sadness and fear sometimes, or grief, when we begin to see those. And we can't bypass the feelings. We have to allow those too. Ajahn Sumedho said, So we can actually be glad when unpleasant states keep coming up in our meditation practice. By having loving kindness for the wretched creatures that we lock away inside us, we're opening the door of the prison. We're letting them go and we're releasing them out of compassion rather than a desire to be rid of them. So you can think of it as a purification process. And it can be amazing when we include all of those dark places because the energy is released from the blocks, from the holding them in the prison. And when that energy is released, the states start to dissolve and we find ourselves more free and less burdened. We also come to realize that um, the purpose of our practice isn't to always have pleasant experiences. Sometimes we think that we come here to do that, but I'm sure you'll all have found that that isn't the case. (laughs) Um, It's how we relate to them. There's always going to be pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences. That's how it is. But can we let them be? Can we let them be enough without having to add or subtract or change them in some way? It's very deeply conditioned in our society that only pleasant experiences are acceptable. That we, as women, are only acceptable if we're pleasant. And it goes very deep. And if we can release it, we can come into a really deep place of being enough, of being acceptable just as we are. We're really okay just as we are. And then we can feel that just being alive, just as we are, is enough. This is from David White. Enough. Let these words be enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. This opening to life that we've refused again and again until now. So levels of acceptance can be very subtle. Sometimes we can think that we're accepting, but it's actually denial or passivity or naivety. It's okay with me that she never phones. I'm too busy anyway. That wasn't the right kind of job for me anyway. The kind of ways that we're, we're placating ourselves Um, But really, underneath it, there's some kind of aversion or perhaps greed or not seeing clearly that we're not ready to see. Sometimes our acceptance is conditional. I'll accept this pain or this fear if it'll go away. And you'll notice that when you're sitting, you're paying attention to something in order for it to go away. 
but not really to allow it to be as it is. Unconditional acceptance is saying yes to everything. Yes, this is rage that I'm feeling. Yes, this is self-blame or self-judgment at the rage. This is how it is. No blame. What helps is when we begin to understand that the rage and the blame and the fear and all these emotions are not who we are. It's not my rage or my self-hatred. It's just the energy of anger passing through. When we identify with these states as me and mine, it's very painful and we get stuck in them. The same is true of despair or depression. When it's my depression, we're kind of holding on to it. And we feel, then we feel we're bad because of it. And once we can allow that it isn't personal, it's just this energy state that's passing through. Maybe it's staying a little too long, but it still isn't who we are. And it's a relief not to take these things personally. And what we find as we say yes to all these different mind states, these difficult mind states, as we begin to accept that they appear, yes, this is anger, this is rage. We allow them fully, and as we do that and we include them, there's room for them to move, and we find underneath that there's love. And I'm sure you'll have had that experience when there's been some long-held-in anger that finally is able to come out, then there's space, there's room for the love that's in our hearts to appear. Or if there's been despair and we're able to fully allow that it's there and to see that it isn't my despair, it's all of the planet's despair. And then we make space for it. And then the space for it to move and we can connect with the joy. Often, we can't connect with joy when we can't fully allow our pain. So it's almost as though with unconditional acceptance, both are possible, the fullness of the despair and the fullness of the joy. And if we can't allow the fullness of our hurts, we tend not to experience the fullness of our love and our joy and our clarity. I had an experience of that once um, when I came back to Nicaragua, from Nicaragua, years ago. Um, And I was full of despair at how things were there and in the world. And everywhere I looked, I felt like I saw the suffering in the world. And I got stuck in it for quite a while, until at some point I was able to fully allow it and really go into it and see that it wasn't containable. I'd had this sense before, I think, that everything had to be contained in this body. And the moment I saw that, that wasn't so. That it could be that there was a much larger container, a universal container. Then there was freedom for me to be able to 
how it moves through. The analogy of that that the Buddha gave was if you have a little cup with a teaspoon of salt, the water is very, very salty. If you put that teaspoon of salt in the ocean, the intensity has changed. When we, can try, when we try to contain our feelings in this body, this mind, it's too intense, it becomes unbearable. If we can release the container, even if it's only a little bit at first, it makes it possible to be with what's there. And when we're not blocking the energy and keeping it trapped, then it can move through. One of the most difficult things for us to accept is change. We all know that everything changes. We know that, but we don't like it. We want the unpleasant things to change. We like that, (laughs) but we don't want what's pleasant to change. We want to make things solid and secure and unchanging, even when they're not under control. What the Buddha said was that if you hold on to things that inevitably are going to change. It's like holding on to a revolving wheel. At some point in the cycle, you're going to get run over. In other words, there's going to be suffering. And we feel betrayed when our bodies change, when we grow old, when we become sick. We don't like it. Um, I had a patient, um, a woman who had cancer, and everyone had thought that she would die. Um, and she had a remission, and she didn't. Um, And she was walking down the street and met a friend of hers who said, Oh, how wonderful to see you, how wonderful that you're not going to die. You must feel so great now you know you're not going to die. And she said, Well, of course I'm going to die. And she saw that her friend was still in the illusion um, about death. And... We're not aware of how deep that illusion goes. I know when both my parents died a number of years ago, it was a sort of revelation to me. I suddenly got it. Oh, everybody's parents die. And I don't think I'd really got that before. It's hard for us to accept that impermanence is a natural part of living. That's how it is. And we need to come to terms with that. The Buddha taught that the way to end our suffering is to stop clinging, to let go of the wheel. And yet our hearts and our minds want to hold on. There's a Zen story about um, a man on a horse who's charging through a village. And because he's going so fast and so furiously, it looks like he's going on a really important errand. And so one of the villagers says to him, where are you going? He says, I don't know. Ask the horse. (laughs) And we do that. Even when we don't know where we're going, we keep holding on. Our habit energy is like the horse's energy. It keeps carrying us along. We get stuck in patterns of our life that we know aren't working. We keep doing too much. But we can't let go. The horse energy carries us. So letting go is an invitation to stop clinging to anything, to stop clinging to getting it right, to being good enough, to certain concepts and ideas that we have about ourselves, to being able to fix it, 
to having things be a certain way. And it's a conscious decision to release it all. It's a creative act. Very often, I've seen that people with terminal illness or in crisis are able to fully let go, to fully be with their loved ones and to fully live life um, as though it were their last moment. They live and love more fully. And we don't have to be dying or in crisis to do that. But it does take a tremendous amount of courage to keep letting go again and again. How do we do it? You can't make letting go happen like you can't force falling asleep. My mother was um, terminally ill. When she was terminally ill the last week or so of her life, one day she decided she was completely ready to die. And so she said, this is it. And she said goodbye and now I'm ready. And it was actually Christmas Day. And she said, I've seen you know, Christmas and now I'm ready to die. And um, I went, you know, I spent some time with her and she fell asleep and she woke up the next morning and she was really pissed off. <laughs> she said, how come it didn't happen? I was ready. And I said, it said to her, well, you know, mom, it's like giving birth. You can't predict how long your labor will be. The body does what it does. The body lets go a little bit at a time. It doesn't just do it in one go. It's a process. And so she was able to be with it in a very gracious and beautiful way as over a week her body gradually let go. And it's that kind of releasing, that kind of understanding in a way that letting go is more a letting be. It's not a doing. This is from Wendy Lewis. It's like this. There's this bird, and you catch it in your hands. You feel its softness, warmth, its heart rapidly beating. But if you keep holding it, it's no longer a bird. So you open your hand, catch it, and let it go again and again. So that's what we do with our moments. We connect with them and we release them again and again. It's a releasing or a relinquishing of our struggles and our contraction and our difficulty. It's letting the fight be, not engaging in it. It's difficult for us to let things be. As women in this culture, so much value is placed on doing, on fixing it, on getting it done on making progress, on taking care of things. We're constantly doing. And so this retreat is a chance to just be, to just be with sitting or walking or eating or resting, to not have to do anything. Can you be mindful of each moment? See what appears. Watch what's happening to it. Experience it fully. Notice when it changes and dissolves. Oh, here's wanting the bell to ring. Look, here's wanting the bell to ring. Here's irritation that they haven't rung it yet. (laughs) 
his contraction. Oh, they rang the bell, relief, and, and so on, so that we're aware, we're watching things change into the next, into the next. Each moment is dissolving and a new one is appearing. And what we do is we start to see that if we sit being mindful of each moment, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, it unfolds all on its own and transformation can happen. Some time ago I was on a retreat and I'd been going through a difficult time, some difficult emotions, and I became aware at one some time, of, I have a lot of visual imagery when I sit, it was like there was a big wound on my belly. Um, and I could see that um, it, I'd, been, I'd scraped it off again and again. I'd kept trying to fix it. It was like a scab that I'd peeled off again and again. And I began to be with it. And I saw the desire to fix, to do something. And what I also was aware was the anxiety underneath that was leading to me wanting to fix it. And as I stayed with this anxiety and just sat with it and allowed it fully, the anxiety of just being, what happened was it began to transform and a garden grew and flowers grew and it was as though new growth and healing came out of this dark place, all on its own without me having to do anything. And I saw how much of my desire to fix things in life came from this anxious energy that was underneath. It requires courage to look at these dark places because it means allowing the feelings of sadness or grief or hurt that are underneath. Not stopping anything and even allowing the not allowing because there are times when we, we can't, when it's too much and we can allow this is too much. But when we do that, it makes space for the joy and for the peace. Sometimes what we're holding on to is pleasant. Um, I was teaching a retreat two weeks ago, and I was sitting up at the front, and everyone was sitting, and I started having this very pleasant fantasy. And it entertained me for about 10 minutes. Um, and then I realized what I was doing, and I let you know, I was able to release it with mindfulness and it faded away. And about five minutes later, it started to appear again. And I could see myself being drawn towards it. I want this fantasy. This is a really nice fantasy. Wanting, wanting. And then the word refrain came into my mind. And I was able to refrain from picking it up again. And that's what we need to do, is refrain when we see something some, some story that you've already told yourself three times this retreat, when it starts to appear again, can you refrain from picking it up again? And sometimes we can't refrain from picking it up again, and we find we're being dragged along. And so when that happens, it can be helpful to think to yourself, well, when you're being dragged along on the leash, let go. You have a choice. <laughs> Sometimes it's easy to refrain and it's easy to let go when we notice we're being dragged on, along by the leash. But sometimes things are so charged that we don't notice we've picked it up and that we find we can't let go 
It's too compelling. We're being dragged along. When that happens, we can feel frustrated and we can feel lost. And it requires enormous patience to get spacious around it and to be okay about, I'm lost again. It's okay. I picked it up again. It's okay. When we add a judgment to it, we just get caught even more. Ajahn Chah said, 70 to 80% of our practice is knowing that we should let go and not being able to. So take heart. (laughs) Our practice teaches us to die to our attachments and our expectations and our fears and our plans. Some of you probably came in here with expectations about how this retreat would go. And already it may not have met your expectations. And we do that. But what we have to learn is can we let go to our expectations again and again? This is um, Naomi Shihab Nye. Adios. It is a good word rolling off the tongue, no matter what language you were born with. Use it. Learn where it begins, the small alphabet of departure, how long it takes to think of it. Then say it, then be heard. Marry it. More than any golden ring, it shines, it shines. Wear it on every finger till your hands dance touching everything easily, letting everything easily go. Strap it to your back like wings or a kite tail, the stream of air behind a jet. If you are known for anything, let it be the way you rise out of sight when your work is finished. Think of the things that linger, leaves, cartons and napkins, the damp smell of mold. Think of things that disappear. Think of what you love best, what brings tears into your eyes. Something that said adios to you before you knew what it meant or how long it was for. Explain little. The word explains itself. Later, perhaps, lessons following lessons, like silence, following sound. So the letting go is an ongoing process. It's something that we do all our lives. And we start to see clearly as we do this process that while the pleasant and unpleasant and neutral are here to stay, The holding on and the grasping and the pushing away are optional. We don't have to do those. We can let it be. We can leave ourselves alone. Um, There's a family retreat that Julie and I um, go to and Julie teaches. And one of the songs that the children are taught is called, My Mind is a Clear Blue Sky. And the children sing the song with many different verses. And it goes, 
My mind is a clear blue sky. My mind is a clear blue sky. And then they add, and the anger comes, and they stamp, and the anger goes. My mind is a clear blue sky, and so on. And they add things, and the wanting comes, and the ice cream comes, and whatever it is. And they add whatever words they want. Um, and then they have, but they act it out physically. So they they have this image of holding on and releasing as they're singing it. And um, at the beginning of September, my 13-year-old started high school, and he was getting into a lot of difficulties with his socials teacher. And in the car coming home, he was really stuck with this. And so I started humming the song very softly, and he didn't say anything. And then when we got home, he got out of the car and he started singing it in a very loud voice. My mind is a clear blue sky, and socials comes, and he threw his book down, and socials goes. And Mrs. P comes, and Mrs. P goes, and he went on and on, you know, physically doing all this. And then after about five minutes, he went in and did his homework, and he was singing to himself. And I thought, wow, I could learn from that. (laughs) Um, And so I'm trying it, actually. (laughs) I do it very softly in case people think I'm nuts, but... (laughs) But it actually works. There's something about the, the physical, the physicalness of it and the humor in it, so we start to take it more lightly. And it's possible to not get so caught in our stories. So it helps then to notice the actual physical process of holding on, of letting go. That's what he was doing. Physically, what does it feel like when we're stuck in something? and when we release something. We can notice then when we're starting to get caught and we're being drawn and when we're stuck. And we can choose more freely then when not to pick it up, when not to get caught in the story going around and around of our argument with someone or whatever it is. This is Arjan Chah again. Being stuck is like pulling on the end of a rope. If one end is stuck, it won't budge. To make it free, we need to find out where it's stuck, to seek out the source or the root of the problem. So our practice here is a lot about discovering how it is that we're stuck. Um, On yet another retreat, um, I'd gone into the retreat with a very difficult life decision. And my um, process in making decisions is very agonizing and drives my entire family and friends nuts because I have to weigh all the possible choices and I have to get it right and I can't let go. So it takes a very long time. And um, so I was sitting and I'd been stewing over this problem and finally I did actually let it be. And I suddenly had this image of um, wheels spinning around in the mud. I thought, oh, stuck. This is what stuck feels like. And I continued to allow that feeling of the wheels spinning around. And I experienced how much energy was caught up in being stuck. And in being mindful of the stuckness and staying with the sensations of the stuckness, I started to feel some peace. And by the time I left the retreat, it was perfectly clear to me what the decision was going to be. It just came. All the energy had been tied up in trying to make it. And I needed to let go of that 
to just let it be and to explore being stuck. And so it can be really useful to allow that sense of being stuck because when we allow it, we start to see more clearly where it's caught under the rock or whatever it is um, that's our particular stuck place. So I keep saying this, but it does take trust and courage to let it be, to let ourselves be as we are, to see all the parts of ourselves, to not try and fix ourselves, and to not try and fix others. When we understand and experience that we are not our mind states, that others are not their mind states, it becomes possible to actually experience that divine or that goddess or that Buddha nature in ourselves and in others. A connection can happen. In my office some months ago, I'd been seeing um, a woman who had a lot of physical illness and she'd been to many different doctors and she was constantly looking for something or somebody who would fix it, who would have an answer. And usually before she came in, I would start to feel more and more anxious and I would feel my body tighten up and um, I would get geared to try and solve whatever the issue was this time. And it wasn't good for her or for me because I started to hate the days that she would be coming in. And I knew that it wasn't being useful to her. And so one day I just was aware of the contraction and the resistance towards her. I could feel it. And I just noted aversion, contraction, tightness. And then I began to soften a little bit. And I said to her, you know, it must be so hard and so painful to not have any answers. It must be so hard that nobody else has any answers. How is that for you? And something in us both opened. She felt seen. All of who she was was acknowledged. It was like there was permission for her to be who she was, for me to be who I was. And when we can do that, when we can fully allow each other to be what we are, we feel seen. Because that's what we want is to be fully seen. And it's a great gift that we can give each other when we can fully see each other. And it isn't always easy. So it isn't frequently easy. <laughs> so often we get caught in reaction um, before we have a chance. And when we do that, when we get caught in reaction, it can help to have compassion for ourselves, to take refuge again as Julie mentioned the first night, in that goodness that's in all of us, in the whatever you call it, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, but in the truth, really, of who we actually are, who others are. Once um, I was, um, I had to see a couple whose child had um, been stillborn, and I went in to see them, um, and the father was extremely hurt and very angry. And he was very angry at everybody. And his anger was so intense, I found myself contracting and being afraid. And um, at that time, I wasn't able to fully allow it. I found myself wanting to come up with ways to placate or calm him down. 
And afterwards, I felt bad about it. I felt I should have been able to allow him to have his feelings and not try to rationalize anything. And then I realized I did the best I could. In that moment, I got caught and I wasn't able to allow him to fully be who he was. And so having compassion allows us that we don't have to get it right. It's okay, we can make mistakes. Um, and it's, it's so hard for many of us, as women, we have to get it right. It's a script, we have to be good enough. And when we can allow, it's okay that we don't always get it right. We're not enough. Who we already are is enough. And through our practice, we begin to connect more and more with that experience of being enough, just as we are. We know our essential nature of our heart and mind. We're not all these concepts that we've been sticking on ourselves in order to be acceptable or pleasant enough or approved of. May Sarton writes, Now I become myself. It has taken many years and places. I've been dissolved and shaken. I've worn other people's faces. I've run madly as if time were not there. Now to stand still, to be here, to feel my own weight and density. Now there is time and time is young. In this single moment I live, all of myself, and do not move. I, the pursued, who madly ran, stand still, stand still, and stop the sun. So when we can stand still, there's space to connect with the beauty of all that we are. So as you're sitting these next few days, walking and eating and just being present, see whenever there's an inclination to fix your moment or to judge it or to resist it, see if you can let it be. Let sleepiness be. Let boredom be. Let irritation be. When you notice there's a pull in the mind, to get on to the next better moment. Perhaps it's 12, the 12 o'clock sitting and you're already eating lunch. See if you can bring the mind back and have this moment be enough. Can you be with what's actually happening and unfolding right now? Each time you notice you're leaning into the next moment to release it. You can use the word refrain or let it be or reaching, whatever that helps you come back into being right here, however it is. When we look out there, when we lean forward, when we reach, it takes us further away from the truth that's right here, where we already are. And if we're trying with anxiety and contraction, to get it right, 
see if we can have the intention to let it be. Sometimes I say to myself, if I've been in a place of contraction, may I not get in my own way? May I let it be? And what happens as we begin to trust ourselves and to let it be more and more, our experience shows us the truth. We learn from our own experience, not anyone else's words, not my words. But we begin to trust our own wisdom. And as we allow things to unfold, that's what we see, is our own wisdom. And we don't need to grasp on so tightly when we do that. When we begin to understand and accept that pleasure and pain and neutral feelings are impermanent, they're always going to change, then the moment can be complete. And it's very satisfying when that happens. Just this moment is enough. Just this ordinary moment. There's such a blessing. Just before the talk, I walked out under the, under the stars and it felt such a blessing that this moment was enough without it having to be any different. The more we can face change and trust life, the more satisfactory it is. And the more deeply that we care, the more we truly begin to act with wisdom and compassion to ourselves. And then we can feel the interconnection between ourselves and others and the world. When we allow all of who we are, all of what life is, all of what others are, there's a beautiful, deep interconnection that we experience. And we also begin to allow that it takes time. We need patience. Often we want to be able to let go right now. Like my mother, she wanted to die right now. And so we have to accept the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. The seasons take their time. Nature takes its time. I seem to be reading Ajahn Chah a lot tonight. But this is called the duck. Your practice is like raising a duck. Your duty is to feed it and give it water. If it grows fast or slow, it's the duck's business, not yours. Let it go. Just do your own work. Your business is to practice. If it's fast or slow, just know it. Don't try to force it. This kind of practice has good foundation. So what we find that gradually, over time, with trust, with patience, with having this non-doing, this letting be, and with not striving or trying to get it right, when we do that, gradually we open into this kind of unconditional acceptance. It happens all on its own. The energy isn't so tied up in contraction and resistance. And it's freed then for creativity. It's freed to show us insights, for us to see the purity of our own hearts.
and we can be alive, engaged, and fully present. So I'd like to finish with this poem by Mary Oliver. In Blackwater Woods. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. So let's sit for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.